Jason Zoli. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is hour one of episode 516. Jason Lingren is with me and Logan Silsley returns. I'll have a number in a minute. He's been on with us before. We're going to get into basically reconnecting with the land, farming, soil. Who are you? These kinds of ideas. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a fine good afternoon. A hot good afternoon. Yeah, the humidity is starting to find me here, finally. Um, it's happening. Anyhow, welcome back, Logan. Thanks, boys. I'm glad to be back. And Rose, how's it going? We had Logan on for episode 427, and we had Logan on for uh, episode 413. Uh, those were actually both very popular episodes, and I'm sorry you were about to say. Oh, I'm just saying, I, you always got to um, make sure you include all three of you guys because you're such a powerhouse team, you know, making this thing happen. We're really thankful for it. Yeah, this doesn't work without Rose, believe me. Right. Before Rose was here, I had zero life. Anyhow, anything you want to add in, Jason, before we jump? Yes, Logan. Do you know anything about electroculture? Yeah, man. Um, electroculture is blowing up. It's crazy. I actually learned about electroculture maybe two years ago when searching around on the net. Someone actually sent me a link to an article, and I got into it back then. I was going to host a class on it a couple years ago once I really dove into this and then I kind of let it slide a little bit and now it seems like it's like the biggest truth or subject out there it's pretty awesome we've been implementing a little bit on our farm and it's pretty cool I do have some things to say about that too if we want to jump into that first yeah we definitely will and here's the thing about electroculture it's real it works it's magical but having said that it's like you said people are finally reconnecting and we've forgotten maybe more than most of us know And so we're rediscovering what works and the intricacies. And it is maybe an art form. Matter of fact, it is an art form. And so when we get into the ideas of which way the spiral goes, um, we're actually going to have a guest or maybe more than one that's got quite a bit of experience. But it's not easy because we're making corrections. We're laying things down. People are hearing all kinds of different things. So we'll dial that in for sure as we go. But Why don't you tell folks before we jump in proper here where they can find you and your work? Okay, so the main work that I promote on like a worldwide, nationwide level is about natural farming. And it comes from uh, a school that I started back in 2020 called the Institute of Natural Farming. And most of the lectures, there's a a 12 series lecture and it's still just those 12 classes because I feel the pertinent information has been laid down in those 12 classes. And um, what it is, is uh, me lecturing for an hour. And then I usually have a guest come on and lecture. And that's on still on YouTube. And that's under Institute of Natural Farming channel. That's going to be your best route to check out what I have to offer. And if you want to get a hold of me, it's esotericfarming777 at gmail.com. And also uh, Institute of Natural Farming on Instagram. Okay, there it is. Uh, when this goes live, we'll want to get those links uh, into the comments under the episode. Uh, for the member episode, but we're going to jump in here near, dear, close to my heart. Um, From my point of view, I reached a point in my life where nothing was real. Everything I looked at was a hoax, a lie, a conspiracy. And you get to a point where you don't know what to do with yourself. You feel like you're in the middle of the ocean without a life preserver. And so I set out to find truth and I found it. I'm surrounded by it every day. I had grown up my life overlooking that nature is true. And what we're about to talk about from my point of view, and I can tell from the notes you provided, is reconnecting with source. And as we do this, I mean, I don't know what you think. From my point of view, everything you learn in the garden 
Uh, you can put that in the bank. It's the real deal. Your first point here is reconnecting with nature slash source slash God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I would like to start just by saying a quote from the master teacher, Yeshua. We're in the world, but not of the world. So that's kind of what you just broke down, Crow. They've set up this artificial matrix scheme around us. They've set up the the paper person, the straw person, the tin man system. And we all kind of are in this, you know, we just saw it in 2020 where they try to go full bore takeover of the natural world with this fake synthetic matrix system. And uh, like you said, the real truth, the real, the realness of this realm has been right at our fingertips the whole time, right under our feet. So that's exactly what we're talking about. We're reconnecting with nature, with source, with God. We're going to use those three things synonymously. Creator, um, you know, there's an esoteric breakdown of creator. It's three different deities that are creation, you know, that, that materialize, precipitate out of the ethers into reality, you know? So yeah, we're definitely talking about real earth, real nature, God source. So whatever people want to use as, as their term that they're comfortable with, I'm going to be using several terms for that idea throughout this presentation. And just if, if you're not comfortable with using the word God, just replace it with nature or replace it with creator or replace it with your source because no one can deny source. Our hair grows, our nails grow, our heart beats, the grass grows, the sun does its thing every day, regardless of what you think about it, regardless of what you do to stop it or to make it happen. So this is what we're talking about, the unseen power that moves things, you know? It's a good place to jump in. And I'm glad you brought that up, Logan. You know, I've told people recently I'm rereading or actually I'm reading for the first time American Gods, which was a series put on stars. It's a wonder that I found it, but I saw a trailer and I thought, really, did I just see what I just saw? And this is the important part. You know, you go to a place, they say a word like Shiva or something else, and the Western mind turns off. And I think it's important to realize it's all aspects of nature. All of it is aspects of nature, and it gets personified by different cultures. But where do you want to jump in here? Okay, well, I want to talk first about exploring the mind of a natural farmer, because I feel like a lot of these lectures that I give and podcasts, like they kind of might go over people's heads a little bit, or maybe they don't know how to apply them because they're not living in nature. You know, they might be in a city or in a suburb or in a town where there's very little nature. I just got back from California. And unless you drive a good ways, like you're pretty much cut off from nature. You're living in a concrete asphalt situation, not many trees around. So like one of my things that I tell students is always eat one piece of wild food every day. Try to make that a goal. It's a challenge I give my students. I was in California in, the, in Sacramento and I'm going, if I gave someone that challenge here, they're basically, it's impossible, you know? So they've done a real good job at, at, at disconnecting us from nature. So now we need to explore the mindset of a natural farmer because the mindset is key, is very key to being able to successfully provide for self and understand these concepts. So I'm going to jump into that a little bit and just go over a few of these key terminologies that uh, kind of get your mind fertile for the information that's coming. And num number one is natural farming. The term natural farming itself is a concept where we're going to team with nature. So Going to the store is no longer an option to feed your garden. We're not going to use organic inputs from the store. We're not going to use synthetic inputs from the store. We're going to team directly with God, with nature, with source. And it's he, she's going to provide everything we need for our garden to thrive. Just like 
humans have done for thousands and thousands of years before the modern era. So that's a, a crucial a crucial terminology is natural farming. It's beyond organic. Um, it's it's non corporate. They can't take our moniker natural farming. It's too plain. It's too simple. And it is what it is. So my my specialty is Korean natural farming. It's a full system natural farming. I, I also teach all kind of biodynamic and all these methods fit into the keys. They're all keys to this puzzle of just rediscovering ourselves and tapping back into nature. So I always recommend, you know, read some Steiner, read some Bill Mollison. He's the grandfather of permaculture. Study Masanobu Fukuoka. Read uh, Elaine Ingham, who does the compost teas. So these are all crucial, but I love to teach Korean natural farming because it's a full system and it's fully applicable and uh, the recipes are really easy to make. So that's another term. Uh, Moving on, esoteric farming is a term that I teach in my classes, meaning hidden knowledge, esoterics, uh, knowledge that's kind of been hidden, shared with a few. And so now we're going to bring this esoteric knowledge that had to go underground because you got to realize like the Japanese governments, the American governments, they're jailing people in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s as they try to implement chemical farming. If you didn't go along with their plan of action with these crystals and these these uh, nitrogen crystallized uh, salt-based chemical fertilizers, you face jail time. You face execution. You know, the, people don't realize like we are forced. No, no real human farmer back in the day wanted to use crystals and chemicals on their farms. They're forced to. And then generations later, they thought it was normal or they were too scared to, to go back to what grandpa and dad used to do. So the practices carried on. So what we need to do is realize that we have all these resources at our fingertips. Um, this esoteric farming that went underground for so long is now becoming exoteric farming. We need to spread this to the world. And I see regenerative on labels now in, in common grocery stores and Safeway. I see uh, organic labels, you know, which is kind of watered down, but regenerative. I've seen um, a lot of people using biodynamic labels now in stores. So it's obvious that people, the market wants real food. And there's a whole good percentage of people that are seeking real nutrients out there. So exoteric farming is coming. Exo. Um, Another term, just to go through these terms real quick, microbial shepherd. So what we're doing is we're actually, as farmers, we're moving microbes around our farm and and cultivating them, just like you would have heard of sheep or whatever animal you're farming. You, you got to cultivate and you feed your dog every day. You give them water every day. So why would you let your soil bed dry out and let your microbes go dormant or die? You wouldn't. You got to treat that soil as a pet, as a as another living organism. So you're cover cropping, you're mulching, you're keeping your soil moist throughout the year. Um, you're letting, uh, if you're in a wintry situation, you're getting a good blanket of snow on there. So your microbes go into hibernation underneath and there's ways to keep that soil alive, like a, like an animal, kind of like your pet. So we're microbial shepherds. Just to move through these terms, Institute of Natural Farming, we talked about, that's the school. Another thing that I talk about is the human bioinstrument. So all of this I'm explaining right now should just be kind of priming your mind to, hey, let's tap in to nature. Let's kind of see what this world has to offer or this earth before we go ahead and team up with a corporation or a bottled nutrient company or whatever the case may be. The human bio instrument. God gave us these fingers, these mouths, these noses, these eyeballs. The more you're out there in nature, you realize like 
color variation, how vibrant a leaf is, how much moisture. So you you start to tune into these very subtle cues throughout nature to help us drive home and, and bring our powers back into being. So what I what I suggest is sometimes these recipes and when you're out there making a, a pile of compost and you got a thermometer in it and you're checking it every other day to make sure it's not getting too hot, well, pretty soon you'll just be able to stick your arm in it and be like, okay, that's the temperature. Oh, that's too hot. It needs flipped. So that's what I mean by human bioinstrument, being able to smell the soil and just know, is this soil fertile? I can just tell by the smell that this this soil's fertile. Or I can just tell by the the feel of this soil and the aggregate and the slime and the and the, the bioavailability and the smell. Does this soil need some kind of calcium? Does it need something to uh, to help with drainage? Like you can totally start tuning into these things. And that's what what I want to teach people is like don't be dependent on the book or the bottled uh, nutrient with the directions. You really need to start just tuning in and trusting yourself. So that's kind of the intro to this would be to just kind of prime the mind. You're a natural farmer. You're a natural being that God put on this earth that's perfect for this earth. And that's going to bridge me into the next subject of soil. So when Rose reached out to me, she said, I want to get into soil. Do you want to do a, a soil subject podcast? And I said, that'd be great. But really, we need to we need to understand what is soil before we really dive into soil. So that's what I want to present here next. So I should mention of the episodes that you were on before, people were all about when you started to describe the tea and other methods from the Korean method, people were blown away. And it's alchemy. It just is. It's living alchemy. But just to refresh people's memories, I'm reasonably sure that was the last show we did together, right? That was 427, Logan? Yeah, we went deep into the Korean method on the last show, yes. So people might want to catch episode 427. It really is an eye-opener. People have no idea. But anyhow, carry on. Yeah, that Korean natural farming method is great. And and if you want to dive deep into that, definitely go check out that episode and and search around on the internet. And I'll leave a few links in the show notes too. But we're not going to talk too much about the Korean natural farming method today because we've already gone over that. So um, I'm going to jump right here into, so soil. You know, soil is, it's not dirt. Dirt is the stuff you sweep off your kitchen floor. Soil is living. It has structure, has water retention. And just real quick to jump into the electroculture, because um, I've been thinking deeply about this. And and if you took, if you took an electroculture rod and stuck it into a pile of dead soil and put some water and a plant on there, me personally, I, I believe that you're, you're not going to get too far. So you, you really need these structures of living soil for the electricity or the etheric vibration of the soil to be there. So what I mean by that is soil is electric. It's conductive. It, uh, plants only absorb uh, charged ions. That's the only way they can absorb food. So what I'm thinking with the electroculture is that you're basically supercharging microbes to efficiently do their job better. That's the only thing I could think besides the electricity itself stimulating and obviously some um, nutrients being being ionized and broken down to absorbable levels. The microbes are the powerhouse of, of the plant absorbing nutrients. So we obviously need to something going on with the electric, the uh, etheric energy going into these microbes to make them perform better. That's what my mind's thinking with electroculture. 
something's making these microbes uh, superpower with that charge from the ether. But anyway, that's a whole nother subject. But just to get into, you can't have dead soil and expect electrical conductivity. You need you need living soil with bioslimes and calciums, these cation exchange happening where that's what's causing the electricity to happen. So soil, what is soil? It's the earth, you know, it's organic matter. It's uh, minerals broken down like sand and silt and it's microbiology and different regions have different things. But <clears throat> what I want to cover today is when I think about soil, I immediately go to the scripture right? Where God basically, he blew breath into soil, into clay and created man. And so um, it brings us to the question when we're talking about dirt, soil, earth, who are we? What's our purpose? These are the internal questions that we've always asked forever, right? So I feel that the scripture has already showed us this of who we are. So let me just share a little bit of scripture and I'm going to tie this into soil if you just stick with me here for a minute. So who are we? What are we? All right, I'm going to turn to a scripture, Genesis 1.26, and just, just listen for a minute. And then the Most High said, let us make human beings. And there's a connotation here that says in other translations, it says man. So we're going to set that aside for one second. Human beings, man, mankind, because we know the truthers know that those are deep uh, subjects. Set that aside to a second. We're going to come back to that. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and to govern it. All right, so we're going to get this down a little bit before we revisit soil. What is this dominion over the earth? What is this govern over the earth that God gave us? Because a lot of people, a lot of modern Christian scholars and a lot of subsequent programming of the mind is that we're the supreme being on earth. We have dominion, meaning domination over the earth. So you could read that scripture plainly and say, hey, look it, we're, we're allowed to subjugate. We're allowed to uh, use and abuse the earth. But that's not what it's really saying. And, and I had to get to the root of this. So if you take that word dominion over the earth, some other scriptures and translations say reign over, or there's also some that say mastery of the earth. So if you were like a master swordsman, would you be enslaving swords or would you know how to use swords really well? You would be a master of the sword you have mastery over the sword. So if we want to have dominion over the earth, we need mastery. of. You need to know how the earth works, okay? So what I did is I looked in my Strom's Concordance Dictionary, and I highly recommend anybody that, that loves to read scripture or loves to study ancient scripture to get a Strong's Concordance Dictionary. And if you go to the word dominion, in the Hebrew, you come across the word R-A-D-A-H, radha. And excuse me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Radha, Rada, R-A-D-A-H. And if you look up that word, it means to subdue or to subjugate or to bring under cultivation. So God gave man Radha over the earth. He wants us to subdue or to subjugate it, to bring it under cultivation. So 
if you were given kingship of the earth, so you were man and you were given dominion, so you're the top dog on the earth. Say you're a king, uh, and say you're just a king, say in a country in Europe back in the 1600s. The people in that kingdom are your subjects. So it, the, this is telling us to subjugate the earth, to make the earth our subjects. So if you were a king of that kingdom, would you subjugate those subjects with with evil and whipping and and slavery and telling them what to do, when to do, what they need to produce? Are you going to get good production from your subjects? Or are you going to be a good king and your subjects are going to love you and they're going to they're going to um you know, make sure that the roads are nice and that everyone has food and that we're all sharing in this communal pot and we're all uh, have our individual households, but yet we're sharing this kingdom to make it prosper because the king treats his subjects properly. So that's what this is saying, that we have Radha, we have this dominion to subjugate the earth. But do we want the earth to perform? Do we want the earth to be good and to return and love us? Then we better love it because we're we're the king of the earth the human beings, you know? So that's where they can take the scripture and go the wrong route with it. And then you could tractor drive over everything. You can mine all the minerals of the earth. You can kill all the animals. You can eat all the fish. You can pollute all the ocean because you have dominion. But what if that word has a slight different connotation that it's, it's actually your responsibility? So the word is truly stewardship. Instead of reading that as dominion, that God gave you dominion, he gave you stewardship of the earth. You're the only upright walking creature on this earth. You're the only one that relieves, that, that receives etheric energy straight through the top of the head, straight spiraling down from, from the heavens, down through your body, down your feet to the earth. No other animal does that. All other animals are facing vertical to the earth. Their, their chakras are pointed Uh, parallel to the earth ground. We're vertical. We're straight up and down. So there's something about us. And then throughout my life, I've always wondered because who, like, okay, who pisses in their own river and then drinks it? And what I mean by that, why would you pollute your own earth and then say, I want to live here? No sane person, no sane species would do that, you know? So I've always had this thing in my mind. Are we, are we aliens? Are we foreign to the earth? You know, and then when I came across Crow, it opened my mind a lot to, to get rid of this idea that we're not foreign to the earth. We're actually, this realm, we're made for the realm. And I remember a episode you did with David Avocado Wolf where you broke down where the human being, there is no earth without the human being. The hum, this, this realm is the earth realm. This is the human realm. That's what we're here for. So we're not from outer space. We're not from another planet. We're not. We're not uh, mutated. We're not crossbred, hybrid aliens. We're just humans that have lost their way because some other humans told us wrong information. So once you take back your birthright, take back your power, take back your, uh, your God-given abilities that he, he gave you this plan to subjugate the earth, to make the animals your subjects, the plants your subjects, that means you got to caretake for them. You got to steward them. You got to feed them nurture them. That's your job. So when people are like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here on this earth. Well, you better tap in. The scripture told us a long time ago, you're here to steward the earth. You're here to make it a better place and Eden. So that's all at our fingertips. You know, that's all just a thought away. I would point out not far after the words like 
dominion and subjugate are used and you can look up the synonyms which all of all of them are not very positive ideas but you're told to to prosper and i think that's what you were getting at if you're going to prosper you have to do things that will make things prosperous and case in point we saw what the corporations did and you cited part of the onset of chemical farming and it was basically forced down our throat how many farmers right now i i didn't even know this till couple of years ago, they don't even own their own seed. As a matter of fact, they're in contracts that makes it illegal for them to even possess seed. It's gotten crazy and it's gotten out of hand. But anyhow, go ahead, keep going. Yeah. So I'm going to touch on a couple of things that I glossed over uh, when I just did that breakdown. And one is the human, the human, the man, the upright walking man. And then there's the idea of the human being being kind of the animal man. I'm going to set that aside for a minute and just just focus here on hue man, the man with hue, the man, the colored man, you know, that has hue. Or in other words, the humus of the earth, the hummus, the humus, that's the uh, that's the really broken down rich soil of the earth, like the real stuff, the humus, you know. So we're the humus man, we're the hue man, the man with color. So now going back to soil, soil produces every color of man. Every color of man you see on this planet, there's a color of soil to match him. You want to know why? Because we are soil. It says in the, in the Genesis, right in the first book, that man was formed from soil, right? So I'm going to read that to you right now real quick, because I'm going to show you how man was made from soil. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grain were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth. And there were no people to cultivate the soil. There was no people to cultivate the soil, it says. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed man from the earth, from the dust, from the soil of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and man became a living person. So right there we got man, our whole structure is soil. Where do we go when we die? We turn into soil. What are our bones? They're calcium, they're soil. What, what, we're all organic matter. You know, we got iron, we got all these elements in us that come from what? From the earth, from the, from the soil. So if you look into um, ancient cultures, you got humans being formed from clay, from earth, from mud, from Enki and, and, and Enlil, from the ancient Sumerian text to Gilgamesh, Enkidu, all the way down, down through, um, you know, the Babylonian stories. You got Egyptian stories. You got the Chinese saying we came from mud. You got the Babylonians, the Hindus. The Quran says it. The Maori say it. The Hawaiians say it. The Greeks said Prometheus. How did, how did Prometheus make man? From, from soil. Yeah. <laughs> we, we actually covered that. That was the truth down the well episode because a trickster stole some clay and made an exact copy, but there were no feet. But I think you're probably coming up on what's the old biblical uh, excerpt? It's all are of the dust and all shall return to the dust again or something like that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's, that's, the, that's the basis of what I'm talking about is we are this element of earth. So basically, you could see us one way a teacher taught me is we're earth angels. We're the earth angels. We're humans. We're we're these stewards, we're these kings, we're these benevolent beings, we're earth angels. And we've been told by the powers to be that we're crap, that we're lowly animals, that we're the human being discussed, uh, fodder, the cannon fodder, the uh, whatever, goyim, you know, all these words they use, the, the chattel, you know, 
But really, we're the kings. We're the highest beings around, you know? So that that's, uh, we're, we're earth angels, you know, we're carbon based. We're all, we're all made out of carbon. <laughs> so, so I don't care if you say you're a white man or a black man or a red man, you're carbon based and you got blue blood that comes out red, all of us. And we're all got the same elements in our skin. Some may have more iron and their skin looks a little more red and yellow. Some may have more carbon and they look a little darker, blacker. Some may have more um, more quartz and they look a little lighter and clearer, you know? So let's get, we need to like stop because we're all made from the same elements. We have the same uh, iron in our blood, you know? We have the same uh, soil. We're all soil, you know? But there's different colors of soil, so it's awesome because not everyone, not every piece of soil is the same. You know, the Hawaiian soil is not California soil and Indonesian soil is not African soil. It's awesome. It's all got its own microbiology and diversity. And yet we're all from the earth. So I just wanted to, to drive that home, you know, that every color of soil, you got a color of man. It's pretty brilliant, you know. I think the, uh, I just looked it up real quick. I think it's maybe Ecclesiastes 3.20 um, is possibly where that reference that we're all up the dust and return to the dust comes from. Anyhow, carry on. Isn't that the funeral rites from dust to dust, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, all that? And often I've been to a number of funerals where they've included that excerpt from Ecclesiastes. So we're also some of the only um, the only beings on this earth that can basically, and I don't like the word control, but we can control or subjugate or work with other animals. So I want you to kind of put your put your mind on like an Anastasia level and how she used to sleep with a bear or the squirrels would bring her food. I don't think these ideas are far off. Animals have learned to be scared of human beings. They've learned to be skittish of us because people shoot them and scare them away and kill them. And so if you generationally you shoot at bears, generationally, they're going to teach their cubs to be scared or, or to be aggressive at that. So basically we need to get, you know, once we learn this stewardship and who we really are, that we're these earth-based beings with kingship, we're going to be living like that Anastasia style, you know, where, you know, say like a village down the way or this this community isn't getting enough water from the communal river. Well, like we were the beings that could have the elephants walk a certain path to make the river have a new depression to send a channel of water this way or that way. We're the crafters of ecology, you know, so I just want people to understand like we have these powers that we maybe we don't use them anymore, but. One time I saw this video of like about a hundred farmers on a hillside planting, planting this hillside. I think it was in Indonesia or Africa, but literally within an hour, they had planted thousands and thousands of trees just because they had about a hundred or 200 workers there ready to go. So imagine, um, humans working, you know, we're not, we're not just working our job, but we're working on a goal together. So another example is here in Hawaii, they have these, uh, these giant hay house. Um, one of them's a shark chaos down here at Spencer Beach Park, it's called now. And I'm just going to tell this story real fast. But um, the rocks that built this whole payout, and it's a giant, it's probably like roughly 50 yards by 50 yards square payout that stands 20, 30 feet tall and at its restored level now, which you could imagine what it really was back in the day. But anyway, all these rocks come from a quarry that's about 20, 30 miles away. So how did they get these rocks there? People came up with all these theories, but then the truth came to the surface. There was a human chain gang, a 20-mile human chain gang 
handing rocks one by one by one down the chain gang. Then they built the temple with the giant pile of rocks. So what I'm trying to show you is just imagine the power of humans working together by the hundreds of what this earth could be, what what the cultivation levels could be, the food levels, because the earth is abundance. You know, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It's providing all the time. It's just giving water, food. It's just giving shelter, resources all the time. So only humans make scarcity, not the earth. It's all given freely. I think that's a key point too. When you go out into the world, that sunlight is given free to you, which proves another key point that you're a beneficiary of this creation. And by the way, it's a, a human chain. Did you mean just they weren't slaves, right? They were all no, free. I mean like a, they made oh, a yeah, human not a chain. chain. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Not a chain gang like that, that that idea. I'm sorry. Just a chain of humans, like foot to foot, standing side by side, handing rocks, you know, handing left, grab one from the right, hand it to the left, grab one from the right, hand it to the left, grab one from the right. And all of a sudden you just got thousands and thousands of stones 20 miles away, you know, and you didn't have to take one step, but you just shifted your body left to right. Well, you're kind of making a key point, all these things that we've forgotten and we don't do anymore. Well, someone in the world who's trying to control everything, they have not forgotten and they're doing all these things that we don't really appreciate. They are acting and we need to get back to acting. But each day when I go down to the beach or out to nature to do my meditation, my prayers, This is how I deal with chemtrails, by the way. I give thanks for everything I'm given so freely from the creation. It's all given to me freely. I'm not charged. I get free air to breathe, uh, free water when it rains. And I give thanks for this, but I claim the rights. I say I claim these God-given rights, and I demand that anyone who would infringe on my God-given rights cease and desist for all time as I'm looking at a chemtrail who's about to block my sunlight of which I have been made beneficiary. And I think it's a key point you're making because when we quit acting, other people began acting in a way we don't appreciate. That's what I think is it too. It's kind of like this, uh, if you don't, like if you don't say no, then you've given that tacit permission. Like it's that kind of idea. Like if we do these things behind closed doors and no one tells us no, then we're just going to do them, you know? So that's kind of like what's let let this Babylonian, you know, this control matrix slowly creep in and become what it is, is, is humans kind of giving away those natural birthrights and stuff and kind of letting it slip, which is, you know, it's kind of sad to say because it's not like we all want to be like vigilantly watching the government at all times and attending meetings and stuff like that. But on a bigger level, we all kind of let it slip away. If you know anything about law, you begin to realize what a big idea making a claim is. And I would ask, you know, how many people listening have ever claimed their rights? I do it every single day. Every single day I claim my rights and I announce it to the universe. But anyhow, I'm just, you know, a claim is a, is a big thing. Someone saying that is mine and the rights we were granted. A lot of people walking around in this world that have never recognized them or claimed them. Yep. Yeah. Cause when, see that, that was one thing that when I came into kind of my consciousness and had my own eye opening, awakening situation back when I was a little younger, the thing that stuck with me is, Hey, you, you need some dignity. You need to become a, a king of your own domain. And again, the king as in a righteous king, not like a, like when you think about some European movie or some weird thing you watched about some overlord guy, but a king, like, like you have complete responsibility. Like everything's, 
you're like, no one's coming to give you the food. You need to provide the food. You're the guardian, the caretaker of the realm. And like, just like you said, we've kind of given away those rights and let these corporations take them and kind of do what they want with them and give them back to us in different packages, you know? So, um, yeah, you know, I want to just drive home that message, like, like stand on your own two feet, start living clean, start making right decisions. And we'll just slowly watch this power matrix fall away. But if you don't do it individually, and I know it can feel daunting, but that's all you got power over is yourself. So, um, I'm going to get into a little bit of like, so we had that land stewardship. I want to give some examples of like back in the day, I read this book called The Dark Emu and it's about Aborigines uh, of Australia. And in modern day scholars don't, they don't even give credit to some of these ancient cultures as being agriculturists. They don't give them credit as knowing the, the skill of cultivation, which is absurd and retarded if you really think about it. But I'm just going to share this quick story from this book called The Dark Emu, which is about Aboriginal agriculture and um, the truth about some of these uh, lost subjects of the Aborigines of Australia. Well, basically, what happened is when the first first uh, European, uh, what's the right word, colonizers or explorers, whatever word you want to use, came into Europe, I mean, came into Australia, um, there's this account of them meeting these Aborigines for the first time. And they're walking along and they're basically like starving, dehydrated, and they're kind of wondering, you know, what, what, what are we doing? What's going to happen next? And then all of a sudden they see the natives and the natives actually come, come up to them with water and what they, what they explained in the writings back then as cakes. Now, if you study modern consensus science, these people were definitely not, not cultivating anything and they definitely weren't baking anything and they, they weren't milling anything. So, that puts all that idea to rest. You know, these people were cultivating, they were milling, they were making flowers and, and drying things out in the sun and preserving food. Like, obviously, like these people were on the earth living, you know? So um, maybe not every ancient culture had intensive agriculture like the Hawaiians did, because the Hawaiians actually are one of the groups that had very sophisticated agricultural techniques, like almost better than the world has, anyone has today even, or obviously, but they would have these low eat patches, they're called, where they would cultivate the key starch in our culture is taro or dasheen, or kalo, we call it in Hawaii. And it's a, it's a root vegetable, but they would have them in these, say, like you could look at them as kind of wetland ponds, but they're all fed by a central stream that, that came off the mainstream that then was, was carved into the earth to feed these ponds. Well, what's pretty magical about this, by the time you got to the third or fourth pond, the water was now completely filtered and clean and drinkable. So maybe it was muddied and muckied coming out of the source, or maybe it had some kind of uh, solids in it and whatnot. By the time it gets to the third or fourth patch, everything has settled. And off the top, you could just skim pure, clean water to drink. So not only were they cultivating these foods, they were getting super clean water with the same system to water the food. So what I'm just trying to show you is like these brilliant systems were already in place worldwide. So the Aborigines, maybe they didn't have these sophisticated cultivation systems, but they would definitely get tubers and different native foods and plant them outside. Let let me make an argument here. What they didn't do is hoe up an acre of land and change it into some man-made construct that we would call a garden. What they did do 
is they ensured that they had enough to eat. You know, what's a good example. I had seen once where these white guys went way in to supposedly contact a uh, people that had not seen white people in the middle of the Amazon. And they were cultivating in what I would estimate as a similar way. They didn't dig up a big part of the forest and make rows and, you know, do gardens in the way we did. What they did do is when they took something like a piece of fruit or a banana, they would plant one back. But there was no central point where they called a garden because the rainforest doesn't work that way. And what they were doing was ensuring if they took something away from the rainforest, that there was another one that would come to replace it. And I view what I've read of the aboriginals in a similar way. In other words, they didn't reform the land. They used the land in the way the land would have done it, whether they'd been there or not. So if they took from it, they ensured another one was there for them. They just didn't plow it all up. That's right. That's right. It's it's intelligent. It's working again with God and with nature, with source to actually provide abundance, not that we're going to reap this time and then generations later can't reap anymore. We're going to we're going to do this for monetary purposes and then the future generations, hey, you guys are screwed. No, none of that. It was all with true intelligence in mind. I, I think their cultivation practices were in step with what they had learned the truth was from nature. And so where they had cultivated was no different to the human eye of where they hadn't cultivated because they were allowing nature to produce instead of plowing it up and, you know, making a square garden somewhere, a grove of some certain kind of trees. They didn't do it that way. They reflected what they saw in nature. hundred percent. That's correct. And that kind of gets me to this point right here too, is like, we need to go back to seeing agriculture as a sacred task. And that's like one of my main teachers, uh, Haile Selassie from Ethiopia, the emperor of Ethiopia. He has a quote saying, agriculture is a sacred task that only the, that the farmers are actually need to be put on a pedestal. They're like these providers, you know, of the, of, of our, our well-being. So what I would like to jump into here is like the takeover and control of the food system. Because I've mentioned this on your show before, but previous to World War II, 80 to 90% of, of human beings, say just in, say we'll take America, for example, had something to do with either growing food, producing food, distributing food, something to do with farming. 80 to 90% of the human beings. If you look today, 2% of the population has something to do with food production, farming, cultivation, distribution. Do you think that's that's a, a red flag? Big time, big time. Because what do they do when they take it out of your hands, put it in the hands of a few corporations? Now we're dependent. Now we eat shitty food. Now we get bad microbes. Every single piece of produce in a supermarket has been dipped in bleach. It's been dipped in bleach. <laughs> You're not getting the, the microbial life on the skin of the food. So there's, there's microbes that are found on kale, on raw kale, that if you consume the raw kale, the microbes will actually bore into your intestinal lining, take up residence there, and slow drip you vitamin B the rest of your life. That sounds good. <laughs> this is very good. This is what we all need and we're all lacking are these symbiotic microbiology that uh, that's been demonized by the by the powers to be. We all oh wash your hands, sanitize everything. 
kill everything, kill, 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 kill the microbes. The microbes are the agents of health. So like I said, you eat a piece of raw kale. You ate that raw kale when you were 12. When you're 20, you're still getting B vitamins from the colonies of microbes living in your gut, producing B vitamins as a, as a byproduct of them helping break down your food. So it's actually a war on biodiversity, basically. If you look at every facet of what we've been talking about, it's to remove biodiversity, whether it's the small things that we might call germs, the living things in the soil, the nutrients that are made by those things replaced by chemicals, or you know, look at the story of Burbank. Everyone knows who Burbank is. He's held up as a great, great man. And the one potato that we predominantly create in this country is called the Burbank potato. Why? Because he created the potato we love. It's uniform size. It works well for baked potatoes and French fries. But here's the problem. There used to be hundreds, if not thousands of varieties of potatoes, and now they've taken the biodiversity away and almost everything is Burbank. And so it's almost like you could hook everything that we're addressing here to a pre-planned food shortage in the future, because all of this is heading to that. It's already here. And how did they do it? Through the diversity that they removed. And that even can be related to washing your hands all the time. Exactly. It just gave me chicken skin because that's that's exactly what they did. If if I was, say you were a, like an a insane control freak, one of these power hungry weirdos, and you're in a think tank group, you're sitting there in a think tank. How do we, you know, I don't care what, what era this was, but at some point they came up with the idea that they're going to attack microbes and microbes, we're going to make them into demons and we're going to get rid of all of them. Because if, if you knew as a, as a, as a um, ruler of the world that microbiology are the agents of health, wealth, food, cleanliness, clean soil, clean water, clean gut, biome, uh, digestion. If you knew these guys are the agents of health, there's no health in the soil and the plants and humans without them. What's the point of attack? The point of attack would be the microbiology because you get rid of the microbiology, you got sterile humans that are sick all the time because they have no defenses. A lot of people are proposing the majority of what you call your immune system, right? Because you can't see your immune system. You can see your circulatory system. You can see your skeletal system. You can see all these systems, but you, you don't know immune system. That's just arbitrary. But what they're kind of figuring out and kind of revealing again is that the majority of your immune systems, your microbiology and the symbiosis of those microbes giving you health, cleansing your body, breaking down nutrients, making nutrients available, moving toxins out of your body. Fortune actually said that to me. By the way, we've got to wrap up. We're coming on the top of that. But Fortune told me if there was a thing you could point to called the immune system, which you can't, and you know, there it the idea is valid, but as a system, it doesn't exist. No. He said that would start with your digestive tract. Yep. And he said the base of that is, you know, going to the bathroom properly and digesting properly. But anyhow, we are coming up to the top of the hour. Jason, anything you want to get in before I have Logan tell folks where they can find him again? Uh, what are we going to do for hour two? You want to touch real quick, Logan, on what we're going to do, what we're going to get into an hour two? Yeah. Yeah. We can uh, seal up this idea of the war on uh, microbiology. I got a little bit more to share on that. And then I was thinking um, if we covered, you know, this, uh, if people really got their minds wrapped around on who we really are and 
that we came from the soil and that we're actually these earthen angels. If we've gotten past that idea, we can now move on to some easy soil prep recipes, some hands-on, not so esoteric stuff about how, how do I how do I build soil? How do I make this structured soil so I don't have to worry about using uh, chemicals and pesticides and all that where I can have a healthy living system that takes care of itself? We can get into that a little more too. All right. You know, we've come to a point where everyone's beginning to realize that all those pesticides, they created a lot of sickness in this world and all that fertilizer out of a bag that did too. And it destroyed soil and it destroyed microbiomes. For those of you who are truly interested in what we're talking about, go catch episode 427. You will be blown away uh, when Logan describes the living alchemy that is the Korean method of soil prep. And you can do this at, at your house, but just as he begins to explain it, it, it was just wildly popular, even for people who don't grow things. Logan, before we prep up for hour two, tell folks where they can get a hold of you and find your work, please. Yeah. So the YouTube channel, Institute of Natural Farming, has the lectures and the breakdowns of uh, everything we're kind of talking about here, plus a lot more. And then if you want to get a hold of me directly, feel free to email me esoteric farming 777 at gmail.com all right there it is that's hour one of episode 516 uh the first hour is free to everybody at crow triple seven radio.com that is c-r-r-o-w seven 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 radio.com members know to log in for the full episode members get access to forums to uh, comments which exist under every member episode or the full two-hour episode. And they also get access to the two-hour film called Shoot the Moon, covers all my telescope work. By the way, at the end of that film is the first filming that I'm aware of, of the so-called double sun or the sun we don't see. Uh, That's starting to happen a lot more as I predicted. And by the way, it's being filmed at the times I predicted, mostly, not entirely, which is at sunrise and sunset. With that, we're going to prep up for hour two, and I would like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era, and I truly hope to see you as a member over at the website for hour two. There it is, man. Cheers.
Safe is the enemy of knowing.